just died up like a salmon, a spawning salmon. Jitsa! Welcome, my name's Tim, I'm joined by my co-host Gianluca. Good to be here. You may know Gianluca from our, our website, he's a, a brilliant writer, he writes everything that you see on the Adelaide United website, he's a huge help to us on staff, a bit of a legend himself. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, he's a bit of a stats guru, football fan, a decent footballer himself who also played in a team with Stefan Mork and Ben Garuccio at Adelaide City. I did, I did. Yeah. yeah. And, and Bruce Kamau actually. And Bruce Kamau. Yeah. So there you go, so he's got some pedigree. But it's not about this legend today. No, it's not. It's about this other legend sitting across from me, which you would have seen from the title of the show, so you already know who it is. 281 appearances in all competitions, 84 clean sheets, championship winner, premiership winner, FFA Cup winner, two-time Aurelio Vidmar Club champion, four-time A-League goalkeeper of the year. The list goes on. Welcome to our current goalkeeper coach, Eugene Galekovic. Yeah, g'day, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, hopefully... Uh Everyone enjoys the show. Yeah, well, my take two was much better than our first take, which no one will ever get to hear. Um, but thanks thanks for coming in. So I, I think we'll just start by going right back to the beginning. Obviously, you know, I think most people know you're Victorian, you're an adopted South Australian now, well and truly. But just tell us about how you started playing football. Yeah, just I think through my background, my, my dad loved the game, um, grew up in Melbourne. So, you know, grew up in the Springvale Dingley area and um, yeah, just gradually played football. I uh, started playing at the age of kind of six, seven, um, just like any other kid would, I suppose. Um, and then down track, obviously, um, you start getting picked up for, you know, regional teams back in Victoria, um, the southeast, north and, and the west. Um, so I played regionals and then slowly from there, I, I made the state teams and the Victorian sport and then kind of grew from there. Yeah, right. So we just... Yeah, you're just playing, I guess, in the backyard to begin with, play for your school, local club, it just just goes from there? Yeah, just like with mates, obviously, to start off with. Um, and then um, school, always at lunchtime. And then, um, yeah, like I said, for, for a club, um, which was called Dingley, Dingley at the time where all my schoolmates played. So um, it, was, it was fun times. Were you always a goalkeeper? Was that something you were doing when you were, you know, did you just... Was it, it wasn't one of those things where it's like, oh, we need a goalkeeper and you kind of just get thrown in there. Was that something that you just gravitated towards? Yeah, it was. Um, I don't know if the team needed a goalkeeper at the time, but I always loved AFL. So, you know, using my hands and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, in time, we, when you're playing a good team, you don't have much work to do. So I was always pushed back in goals, but never really wanted to, you know, be there. So um, played a little bit on the field, uh, but in the end, I was that chubby kid that kind of didn't really want to run when we didn't have the ball, so I always pushed back into girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting you mentioned AFL because obviously, you know, Victoria hotbed of, you know, Aussie rules and everything. So, you know, were you ever tempted to go that way? Yeah, I, I, I love the game. Um, it was kind of, you know, being grown up with uh, European parents, they kind of always, I wouldn't say pushed me, but they didn't really want me to play AFL. Um, you know, they saw it the rough sport. Um, so yeah, they didn't really let me play that game. Um, they never pushed me to soccer, but that was kind of the second option for me. So I kind of, uh, yeah, just obviously played soccer and only played AFL at kind of school when, when I was allowed to. So tell us, tell us more about, you know, your, your local club, um, Dingley, as you mentioned. Um, so from there, you know, how long were you there for? And then, you know, how did you then progress into other clubs? Yeah, so start off with Dingley. Um, a lot of my school friends 
played there. The other names I probably played with at the time or played at the club, um, Simon Story, who played for Melbourne Victory as well, went to Scotland. Um, Joey Diorio, who went to Germany. Um, they were the two main ones, but that was just a club around the corner for myself. Um, and from there, I went to a, a team called uh, Chelsea Haydook. Uh, they're called Danny Long City now. They play in the NPL. And, you know, there's, there's a few good players that come from that football club as well. They're, they're kind of a step up from Dingley. Um, so, yeah, I played a, a couple of years there. And then um, from there, I uh, moved to a team called Bulleen, Ze uh, Bulleen Zebras, um, an Italian club um, in Victoria. And, you know, the likes of uh, Bresciano uh, came from there as well. Um, yeah, a, a few other good players also. So, um, yeah, that was kind of that next step where they played in the top flight in terms of at my age group and that was a kind of team to be at. So had a few good years there and uh, got picked up from the, uh, to the introduced board in Victoria and um, that's where I started kind of uh, with Ernie Merrick as my head coach. So when did you kind of come to a realisation that there might be something in this that you could maybe do this um, and, you know, maybe pursue it as a professional career? You probably always had that hope as a kid, um, but probably leaving Chelsea and going to Bulleen, I think I was maybe 14 or 15, um, that kind of step up. And then from there, I started making the state teams and being um, involved in those state tournaments. Um, yeah, that, that was probably where, you know, that, that kind of step up came. Um, and then that hope of playing professionally, I suppose, uh, down track. It's not always easy. A lot of players don't make it, but, um, you know, those, a lot of those kids do have hope playing professionally at that, that kind of age. Yeah, take us back to that time around, because, you know, it was still the NSL. So football in this country at that time, you know, I think probably there are fans now that don't realise, you know, what the, the climate was like for our sport back then, but also there's probably a, a lot of people that have just forgotten what it was like. So, you know, just, yeah, just talk about that, because it, it felt like we were a marginal sport at that time, in a lot of ways, we probably still are. But yeah, correct. I, I was a big Melbourne Croatia fan back in the day, so I try to go. I, I went to Summer Street every second week to watch Melbourne Croatia, the likes of Viduka, Simunic, uh, Didelica, um, and they were great times. Um, you know, went with the family, went with mates. It was a good hour trip to get to get there, watch the game, come home. So it was, it was a long day as a kid, um, but you know, they, in the week, they were the moments as a kid you you just kind of dream of that that kind of Saturday or the Sunday to go watch. What's your favourite team? What's your favourite player? So, you know, that was the, you know, pinnacle of, you know, Australian soccer at the time, that that league. And, um, you know, my heritage is Croatian. So, you know, I came to love the club. Um, I I kind of trolled there at the time when I was a 17, 18 year old kid. I really wanted to get there. It, unfortunately, I, I, I didn't play a game for him or I, did, I didn't sign for him and I signed somewhere else. So, yeah. And that was obviously in the NSL with Eastern Pride, I believe. So is that when you started to feel like, oh, you know, I can actually kind of really go on and make a bit of a career here? Yeah, correct. Uh, like I said, it was a it was a pinnacle of Australian soccer at the time, the, the, the biggest league. Um, from the VIS, I left to go to Eastern Pride. Um, and that's where my kind of professional journey started, I suppose. Um, it was a difficult time. We, It's a club known not to be... Um, in terms of great in terms of results, um, but it gave me a chance. Um, Jeff Hopkins was my first coach, who coaches um, Melbourne Victory Women's now, um, and you know he, he's done a lot for the game in women's sport. You know at Brisbane at Melbourne Victory, and like I said, I'm grateful for him to give me my my first chance. Um, so from between the 
NSL and the uh, the A League starting, I think you, you got to go and compete in the Olympics. So, um, like, what was that experience like? You know, obviously representing Australia, but to go to a huge event like the Olympics, what was that like? Yeah, it was unreal. Um, I was before that I was um, playing at South Melbourne, so I had a couple of years of professional football. I think I played maybe forty games for South Melbourne, and um, yeah, I had the chance to um, go to the Olympics. I, you know, it started off with the qualifiers where and a few practice games where you know. Brad Jones was playing um, leading up to the Olympics and he didn't come for the qualifiers. So I had my chance um, because he was in Europe. It just a little bit hard for him to come down and, and play with like a lot of European players. And I did well and I kind of kept my spot. So, yeah, I went to uh, Athens and, um, yeah, I, I played in the group stages and we made it to the group of 16 or the quarterfinals and we were one win away from a medal. So in the end, we are a bit unlucky, um, but I suppose that's that's football. Yeah, and it shouldn't be understated. Some of the players that you've obviously come up against at that time have gone on to enjoy some great, you know, great careers like likes of Carlos Tevez, Javier Saviola, Kili Gonzalez, Lucha Gonzalez, like Milos Krasic. That must have been amazing, even at the time if they weren't like hadn't reached their heights yet as professionals. But yeah, correct. Um, you know, you look at their careers now, and I remember um, Mescarano was on the bench. I didn't know who he was at the time. And I just, all I wanted was an Argentinian shirt. So I, I just said to anyone, like, can I have your top? And he gave me his top and I didn't know who he was. And then three years later, you know, he's the career he had at the, the clubs he's been to. So now I've got his uh, top. And uh, at the time, I didn't know who he was, but now I do. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I know we're jumping around a bit here, but you mentioned about playing for South Melbourne in the NSL. Uh, you actually played against Adelaide United in that season, in the 03-04 season, um, and Ross Aloisi, your colleague now, scored a famous goal past you in the finals at Highmarsh that season. So just do you remember that? Because he remembers it. We're losing 1-0, and just before halftime, one of their players got sent off. And uh, in the second half, we went out, and I ended up scoring a goal against Eugene Galekovic, who was playing for uh, South Melbourne at the time. I remember striking the ball, and it, was, it wasn't the best of shots, but... Um, I remember hitting, I'm pretty sure it hit the ground before it hit the post, the stick the post inside of the post and went in. That's probably the only way it was going to go in because Eugene was in goals and he was in uh, good form that year as well. So the celebration, I, I remember it, <laughs> pulling the shirt over my head and, and running towards um, uh, the, the main stand. And I'm pretty sure Matthew Kemp and Aurelio Vidmar were alongside me one was yelling like I was and the other one was running. <laughs> yeah, I do. I remember the game. I remember it was probably one of the best atmospheres I've been involved in. It was South Melbourne's last game ever um, because we got knocked out. And, yeah, it went into – I'm pretty sure it went into extra time. Um, and Richie Alagic – so it was 1-1, Ross scored. Um, and then it went into extra time. We were down to 10 men and um, we gave away a penalty and Richie Alagic scored the winner. And uh, I just remember walking out on the ground before the game – sold out stadium, people wanting to get in and they couldn't. And it was just, it was just noise. It was just, um, you yeah, know, best atmosphere, um, you know, I've been involved in. Yeah. Was that, was that one of the, I mean, you probably had played, you would, you did play there before, but that was, was that one of the, you know, first games or at least one of the first sold out games you'd played here at Highmarsh? Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, like I said, it was when, when people are dying to get in, they can't. It just it's it's electric. And I've been involved in games now where High Marsh has been packed, Adelaide Oval has been packed. Um, yeah, it's the best stadium to play in. Um, 
you know, if you're playing for Adelaide or playing against them, I think it lifts kind of everyone. To jump back to the Olympics, though, you know, the, the players that you shared the field with, you know, as you said, you got Mascherano's shirt. Like, when you're out there, obviously you're dialed into the game, but are you sort of just looking around and going, you know, even if you don't know who all the players are, but some of them you do and you're like, can you really sort of comprehend yeah. where you are in that moment? It's an amazing it's amazing feeling. It's, um, you know, you talk about the game, but you talk about Olympics in general. Yeah. Like we would have breakfast, lunch and dinner in the hall and everyone will take their cameras and video cameras and just film people eating because there's superstars walking around everywhere. Um, so it's one of the, you know, best memories I've got in football, obviously. I've been involved in other big tournaments and, and games, but as a you know, 22 year old kid, being involved in those kind of moments and people walking around with gold medals in the village and silver medals and just seeing what people can achieve and you know their, their qualities. It's um, yeah. as a kid, I think it's it's a really big uh, growing growing curve. Yeah, I can imagine. Like you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember some of the sprinters around at that time as well. But those guys, like swimmers, probably I don't know. I don't know if you saw the US Dream Team basketball team yeah. getting around or anything like that. But yeah, I can imagine it was. Um, What's it like inside the Olympic Village? Yeah, it's it's. Um, to be honest, we we were there. Soccer players are kind of a bit left out. Yeah. We because in Athens, in in all the Olympics, we um, play all around Greece, not just Athens. So yeah. we're not always in the village, um, but there are parts of the time we are. And um, like I said, it, you're in all. You you don't want to be in your room. You want to be, um, you know, you want to talk to. You want to meet. You want to meet all these superstars, tennis players, uh, basketballers. Um, you know, to weightlifters, to to all sports involved, it's um, you know, you don't want to miss out. So you're always like, you know, in the village eating and or, or talking or, or doing something to be amongst it. Is it hard to keep focused in that environment? It is, especially for you know, um, you know, like I said, the soccer is under twenty three competition, so we're not we're all quite young, and it's our first tournament, our first big, real big games. Um, considering most of the boys were from the NSL, so um, amazing, amazing experience. So while you're experiencing that, which is, you know, right up there with the pinnacle, then to think about what's happening back in Australia at that time with between the NSL and the A-League, were you sort of uncertain or a little bit worried about where you might end up following that tournament? Yeah, no, not really because I, I had agreed to go to um, Portugal. So before that tournament started, I was actually, we had a couple month camp pre-Olympics um, and a Portuguese team wanted me and I signed the contract there was a sticking point. They, one thing they did say is you have to leave camp and we don't want you to go, go into the Olympics. And I was like, my option is I'm going to the Olympics if you want me. I'll come after, but I'm not coming before. Um, so in the end, they finally agreed for me to come, but they did sign another goalkeeper. Um, you know, a lot of people probably have heard of Pavel Cernicek. Um, he was a Newcastle United uh, legend. He played there for 10 years, um, played for the Czech national team. He's, he passed away a few years back now but um absolute legend so they signed him as a 36 year old so it did make it hard for me to come i think a week before the season started i you know he was obviously the number one and i was clearly under him so that's the way it goes um you know i'll never give up an olympics um you know to to, to sign out a club so that wasn't an option for me despite the fact that that meant that you were backing him up was it what was it like to learn from him and be around him day to day? Yeah, he, he was an absolute legend. Um, really nice guy, um, really good goalkeeper, obviously. But um, he took me in like he came a, a few weeks or maybe a month before me. So 
we were um, sharing a hotel for a little bit um, until we found our own places. But you know, we we learned a lot in terms of going to get our training together, the games because we were staying in the same place, and you know, just really, um, you know, me and him became very close at the time. So, absolute legend, and to learn off someone like that, it's uh, you know, it's it's amazing. Yeah. So I guess that season ends, the A League kind of is formed. Is that what kind of thought? Oh, I might come back home and maybe get more game time, or was there any options maybe to stay in Europe as well at the time? Yeah, I had a contract with Biedermar for a few years. Uh, I think it was a four-year contract, but we got relegated. So Ernie Merrick was in my ear from about Christmas, wanting me to come back, and we were relegated. So it was last had to put everything into place. I could have stayed. I would have been playing in the second division. Pavel Cernacek ended up staying, so I wouldn't even know if I would be playing at the time still. Um, so in, the, in that sense, in terms of game time, I thought it might be a good idea to come back and um, play in this new league. Um, no one knew what was expected of it, but Melbourne Victory's name was kind of growing. And as you know, it's it's a very big club. It started off as a very big club and still is, obviously. But yeah, and I, I kind of, in the end, agreed to come back. It's no wonder its appeal is widespread. I think just a, a new beginning for soccer in Australia. I think it's really exciting and that's why we brought the kids out. We just want to see goals, goals, goals and everybody happy. You know, the battle's only just started, but I think, you know, they're going to stick with it this time. Yeah, what were your, your feelings on the restart of a national competition? Like, were you optimistic? Were you a bit trepidatious? You weren't sure how it might go? Like, did you think it would be NSL 2.0? Like, yeah, what were you thinking? I thought it was going to go off with a bang just by hearing it all. Um, I had a lot of people in my ear saying, you know, stay in Europe. You don't know what the A-League's going to be like. You can always come back in a few years' time. But I had to look at my kind of – at the time, I had to see that where my club was at the time um, and, we're, like I said, we're in the second division. Would I get game time or should I come back to Melbourne and try to reinvent myself again type thing? And that was, that was my kind of thinking. Like I said, it was always a risk knowing – not knowing what was going to happen with the league and how, how big it was going to be. But I, I think, you know, the first few years of the A-League, it really grew. So, yeah. Am I recalling this correct that uh, it was yourself and Michael, Michael, Theo, you were like dual number ones and they were alternating between you both? Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. So Ernie, uh, you know, he couldn't really pick a number one. So his decision was to two games on, two games off. Um, after about eight or ten weeks, Ernie stuck with me for a little bit. I think it was maybe for another for a six games or seven games in a row, and then he gave Michael the back end of the season. So yeah, we kind of rotated. Second year was different; he picked a number one. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't me, but I think it was a correct decision in terms of picking a, num- a clear number one. Yeah, right. That's interesting. You say I want to circle back to that, but like when you're two games on, two games off, like how hard is it to maintain like consistency and concentration? Because I think you know for your position as well, you kind of really you need games. yeah you need that stability. Don't yeah, you? correct. Yeah. I think, you know, and I, I, I said to our boys as well, when you get game time, you, you'll get at least, you know, your, your first couple of games might be a little bit rusty, but three, four, five, you know, you read the play better, you read balls better, balls over the top, crossing. Um, you just read everything a little bit better as as you play more games. So definitely, yeah, definitely a, it, is, it is a problem. Um, but like I said, you learn and you learn um, year two. It's interesting you say then as well that you thought it was the right decision to put Michael as the number one the following season. So why was that? Did you feel you weren't quite ready or? I didn't say it was the right decision to put him. I said oh. it was the right decision to pick a number one. <laughs> but in saying that, <laughs> Sorry, it I, was yeah, a correct decision because um, 
we won everything, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, very true. So, so yeah, just getting to that, how, how did that move to Adelaide come about all the way back in um, 2007? Because at the time, I think there was uh, Robbie Bayich and Daniel Beltrami that were the number yeah, one and two and goalkeepers. I, I misremembered. I didn't real. I, I forgot there was actually is an injury replacement. Adelaide boss Aurelio Vidmar had his work cut out with seven first choice players unavailable. To ease the injury burden, he signed goalkeeper Eugen Galekovic from Melbourne Victory as cover for the injured Daniel Beltrame. Yeah, correct. Um, halfway through year three, season three, um, Bellas was injured, so they signed me in November for the rest of the season as an injury replacement. So. You know, it was a short-term contract, but I thought I need games. I want to show myself, you know, and I wouldn't say it's a risk because I wanted to show myself and show people what I could do. And, you know, in the end, I, I took my chance. Uh, I believe it was 2008 by that point as well. And then we go into the, you know, the Champions League campaign, which we'll get to. After that short-term contract, when, like, how did the decision get made? When did the club come to you? Like, how did the how did that get made permanent? Yeah, so when I... First come to Adelaide, it was very quick. It was an injury replacement. Um, it was, I pretty much agreed within a couple of days. I came on a Wednesday and, you know, played from there. Um, and then maybe I played, I can't remember exactly, but it would have been early in the new year, maybe January, February, that I signed a two-year extension. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I loved at the time and still do. But, yeah, I, I love being a part of the club. Um, so it was a no-brainer for me to, you know, I got given the opportunity. So... Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I jumped at the chance. The rivalry between Adelaide and Melbourne Victory was already brewing. So, was there any kind of like, did you feel like you needed to come in and and win over the fans or win over the players or any of that stuff, or was that just like a non-factor? I wasn't. It was a non-factor. I was just trying to um, show what I can kind of do on the pitch. You know, for me, the rivalry was probably bigger within the first one or two years I come to Adelaide because I wanted to prove myself as well because. You know, victory obviously let me go. So it was a big thing for me too. Um, we didn't really have a good record, to be honest, against victory in the early years. No, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, you know, there's, now there's been a lot of players, you know, yeah. shopping and changing between victory and um, Adelaide. So I was a first. Yeah, you were the I first. Think, or Christian was the first, maybe, maybe. Yeah, Christian Sarkis. Christian yeah. Sarkis was the first. And then, yeah, I, I came here and joined him. The Asian Champions League through 2008, like what a run as well. And I, I think... I've talked to other other guys. I remember talking to Bruce. I've talked to a few others. I'm almost certain. I don't think I missed a game. I think I was at every single home game. The crowd with each game seemed to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So yeah, just talk us through that campaign. What that was like? Yeah, it was it was crazy. Like like I said, like you said, the group stages were big, but we didn't know what we we're going to expect. The further yeah. we kind of went, you know, went into the finals. Um, it was a very hard league. You know, you look at it now. It's it's a top two finish. So it's a little bit easier to get through to the group of 16 and onwards. Um, in this, in our time, you had to finish top yeah, or else right. or else you're out. And it came up to the last game in the group stage. We needed the point in China. And I remember being it tough. They could have had a, they had a few chances. Um, in the end, we got, we got a nil-nil result to make it to the group of 16, so. Oof. And that's it. The referee blows the whistle. Adelaide could celebrate. South Australia can now celebrate. The red flag flies high over China. And for the first time, it will be the Australian flag that will join Asia's elites when that quarterfinal draw is made on Saturday. Adelaide United, the first A-League team to come to grips with Asia. They've done it. That was the first of one of our 
first grand final, thinking to the finals, that last game of the group stage, and then lead into the group of 16, obviously, and, and onwards, and it just grew from there. I think we sold out from the quarterfinal stage onwards, maybe the group of 16, I can't remember, but it was real electric. It was through the whole city. Um, the banners were up, and everywhere you went, and Adelaide United flag was kind of flapping around. So everyone knew about it, and uh, everyone wanted to get to the games. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Okay, so we lost the, the final. But everyone looks back on that campaign with like so positively. Yeah. Uh, I think because it was so unlikely, it felt as well. I mean, we're as kind you, of pioneers in Asia, weren't we? Like? Well, yeah, yeah, we can say that for sure, yeah. absolutely. And in that group stage, like amongst the playing group, you what were you? Did you guys feel like oh, we're a chance here, or did you, as you were picking up results, you're like, oh, hang on, you know, we're we're a shot to get out of the group here and actually do something. Yeah, it was like a game by game situation, you know, after topping the group we didn't think okay we're gonna our grand finals that's where we're gonna get to it was just getting through to group 16 quarterfinals and it kind of momentum just really built in that it? it was we we're always the underdogs we were never kind of given a chance we def, we were a defensive very structured team really got us playing very st- defensively minded which we i believe we had to because we couldn't compete against these these clubs and you know we we're holding on kind of every game I just remember opposition having, you know, chance after chance and would go down and maybe score a goal and, and win the game. So it was um, that feeling of always being down but always getting up in the end. So that's what made it probably so enjoyable, knowing yeah. that um, we've been these kind of, you know, bigger yeah. clubs. Always up against it, always the underdog, like you said, and, yeah, somehow just pulling out a win yeah. and holding on. And it's not like it – like you say, it was defensive as well. It's not like it was like – Boring the, yeah, park to the watch bus or, or park the bus yeah. at all either. Yeah, it was it was actually really entertaining and exciting. Yeah. Um, we've heard some of the stories as well about you know some of the conditions and things that you guys you know encountered. Yeah. What was that like? Because some of them were a bit average, weren't they? Yeah, um, the one that probably stands out is probably going to Bunyako in Uzbekistan, getting held up everywhere. It was a really long flight. We kind of went the long route, held up at Uzbekistan airport for hours, sitting on you know tiles not they're not letting us through just making it difficult for us you know just little things like that all the way through until the game and we'll three nil up against Bunyuko at home playing away leg three nil up Cassio looking for Cristiano now Diego there's the goal I've been waiting for Diego puts the Reds in front Cassio's continued his run Cristiano's in the middle deep ball instead Travis Dodd But Cassio looking to size things up again. Jamison, Diego, it's a beautiful passage of play. And you can see the Reds' reinforcements heading for the danger zone. It's the floated ball to the back stick. Travis Dodd up like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And Fabian Barbiero, the 2-0 advantage. And what a terrific reward. Here goes Cassio, down he goes. And 16,998 people look for a penalty and the Chinese referee obliges. It's a night to remember for Cristiano. Unforgettable scenes at Highmarsh Stadium. But going to the ground and hearing the fans, I was never never too confident. We just... we. Our aim was not to concede in the first half because if we did, then the fans would have been, you know, 
there would have been louder. And uh, it was probably one of the games where 3-0 up, you should be confident to get through. But until the longer the game went on, and for them not to concede, probably it got safer for us. So. Momentarily at least. Here's a chance, and the shot has found the bottom of the net. Could have G finally break through, and it's game on in the semi-final of the Champions League. And it was the substitute, Soliev. And it comes from server Jeparov. Let the celebrations begin. The dream has become a reality. Adelaide United have made history. They are the first Australian club to reach the final of the AFC Champions League. Yeah, a lot of bad conditions, but it's kind of what you have to deal with in Asia. In the A-League, it's, it's not like that. But in you know, Asia and probably Europe, it's, it's pretty much like that. Has it, has it improved since then? Like when you go to Asia now, or is it still a the, little bit? Those dark arts still implemented, you know, to give their, their home team the advantage. Yeah, correct, yeah. Uh, I think like with the national team, it's improved. You have your own kind of security and everything's as kind of free-flowing as it can be. It just, they've had so much experience in it, I suppose, the, the national team. But now these days, I, I think it'd be a little bit better, but I haven't been there for a long time, so yeah. Talk about the final as well. I mean, we get there, obviously, you know, we've beaten Budnyoncourt and um, Rivaldo and all these, you know, it's just an incredible run. But Gamba Osaka, huge team, you know, like how did, you've come all this way and you've you've been the underdog, haven't always been confident, as you mentioned, but were you going into that going, well, we're here now, we could lift this trophy? Yeah, we did. Uh, we, that's it. That was our probably aim to, okay, we're here, let's just try to finish it off. Um, been saying that, Gamba, Japanese powerhouse, aren't they? So they had some really good players, Endo especially, and a Brazilian striker, can't remember his name off the top of my head, but real quality players. Um, thing, thing for us, that um, Bunyard call game, we knew if we won that, it was a grand every game was a grand final but that one was our biggest game before that final because we knew if we won that would be in the club world cup because japan was hosting so gamble was already there and the winner of the semi-final was going there and us being bunyuko knew that would be in the club world cup so it was a massive game for us then we had the grand final so it was almost another massive game yeah. and they had obviously quality and we just weren't good enough on the day um they scored three goals and made it really tough on home soil. Mentally speaking, correct me if I'm wrong, because you guys were so up for that semi-final and that was like a big final, do you think, did that take something out of you a little bit or, you know, is that just, you know, the fan mindset that, oh, they've played their grand final, now they're not going to be able to do it? You'll never know, but it, like I said, it, when you're playing in the moment, knowing that you're going to be in a club or cup, that's, you put a lot of energy into that. So... Does it take up that much energy? It, it probably does. It, you know, we haven't got a massive squad. You know, these Japanese teams can have 25 players that are real quality. We've got out of 20, you know, 12, 13, 14 senior players, and then the, then it kind of drops off to, to young boys. So it's not like you could rotate a team. So we went in with our best team every every single week. But yeah, you'll, you'll never know. Yeah. Well, speaking of that rotation as well, and this may seem like a bit of a no-brainer question but or comment but was it easier out of a league season to be going through that campaign or did you feel it was easier when you were playing regular games with a league and obviously you know towards the back end of that yeah you think you think it'd be easier out of competition but we did really well playing two comps you know playing wednesday playing weekend playing wednesday 
you'd think it'd take a lot out, the travel, the, the games. But when you've got momentum and you're winning, like we were, we're winning in kind of both competitions, it it was just like you just go off adrenaline, you go off, you know, momentum. And that's what we did. Um, we just, you know, whenever we played, we were just getting results. So that helps. I think if you're not getting results, you know, that's when you might struggle, I suppose. Because I was going to say, like, the league form, I don't think, suffered, even with the knockout stages of the Champions League and the Club World Cup. I think we still finished second that season in the A-League. Yeah, correct. Yeah, we did well. So, like I said, it's it's um, momentum. And um, like I said, you just want the next game to come. And uh, the games feel like they go for 20 minutes because they go so quick. That's just my feeling. I'm a goalkeeper, so I don't do as much running as the boys. But yeah. that was my feeling. Yeah, what was it like, you know, obviously you're down the other end, but, you know, you're seeing some of these, like, iconic moments during that that campaign and some of the goals and the things that happen, you know, yeah. What's it like seeing that all play out in front of you? Yeah. You, you kind of, so much has happened um, in a short period of time. You kind of, you, you watch games again and you realize, oh, yeah, I remember that. You kind of don't remember a lot of the moments, um, but there's definitely, you know, there's a lot of, you know, good ones from, I think, Corny's uh, goal and own goal and stuff like that. I get a lot of the, Champions League's mixed up because I played in it yeah. three or four, but um, you know, playing big teams, it, it, it's a you know great experience. Rivaldo being involved in pitch uh, pitch with Rivaldo um, is amazing. Um, and like I said, Gamba had an extraordinary extraordinary team with a great coach as well. So yeah, they're all memories. Yeah, obviously you mentioned going into the Club World Cup, so another huge experience. Get to go to Japan again. What's that tournament like? You know, you're coming up against some quality players as well. Yeah, it was um, yeah, it was exciting for everyone. Like I said, it's for I suppose for club football, it's the biggest tournament in the world. Um, we knew, you know, we had a New Zealand team at the start. We need to get through. Oh, I nearly cost us. Um, I, I cost us. A, I don't know if I cost us a goal, but I remember making a mistake, and it nearly cost us a chance to play get to the next next game, which was Gamba. And then we knew Gamba was a big game. We if we won that, we'll be playing Man United. I, I was pretty sure. Yeah, so we knew what the what the stakes were, um, and like if you watch the game again, I think we lost one nil. Like I said, they're a quality team, but we were a lot better against them this time around, and we missed a lot of chances. And I remember Travis had a chance. I think Cristiano had a really good chance. And you look back on the game, thinking if we on another day we take those chances, we play Manchester United. So it just wasn't to be, I suppose. Did you ever um, did you ever get to meet any of those famous players like off the pitch or? With Man United, any managed to meet any of the teammates? No, we. I think it was the Gamba. We played Gamba, and Man United played after us. So we did get to. We we got to watch Manchester United versus. Um, I can't remember who it was, but we watched Man United play. Didn't meet anyone. You know, we all stayed in separate hotels. Um, I think some young boys wanted autographs, so they kind of went across and and tried to fetch some autographs. But there was thousands of people waiting for their autographs, so there was no chance. So. Yeah, it was an unreal experience. You know, Japanese people, the way they do things, it's it's world class. We were treated, you know, unbelievably well. And uh, yeah, no, like I said, I'll always remember those moments. Uh, yeah, obviously it was a it was a huge huge year. And then in the A League, um, two thousand nine, another grand final. Um, so just, I guess, like it was obviously led by Vidi at the time. That team um that environment you know the mental toughness all of that like can you take us inside that a little bit because there was there was just something about that that team yeah um we had some really you know good quality experienced players um 
winning on massive runs, winning games, um, and thought we were a really good chance in the final. Um, you know, I had a really good player in front of me in Sasha Ogonovsky, um, you know, a really good leader. Um, so it was really good to play behind him, um, just the way he kind of led. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, in the grand final, I think it's disappointing. Uh, you know, you look back on it now and still disappointing on how it kind of panned out, you know, losing 1-0, Cristiano, stuff like that. Um, just moments in the game that can cost a team, I suppose. And these days, it's a lot easier with VR, I suppose. So it's... Um, Is it? <laughs> <laughs> you'd hope so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, obviously, disappointing result. And yeah. in the end, I think we got what we wanted a few what maybe seven, seven years later yeah yeah well that's true and we are gonna get to that don't you worry yeah yeah there's i don't know yeah like i said there's just something about that team and um you know yeah it was disappointing how it ended but yeah i don't know it was just again that the whole run that season it's just um you know and maybe i look back on it because you know i was in my in my 20s then and following the team and um you know it was just a exciting time um but yeah like I don't know. Well, moving moving on from there. Um, so you said before about how uh, you've uh, played in a bunch of Champions Leagues. Um, so I just want to get to a couple of saves in the 2012 Champions League. I don't know if you remember or you know where I'm going with this, but I'm specifically thinking of the Gordon Banks-esque saves at the same end, um, both very similar, cross from the left, cross from the right, both headers, and somehow you got down to your left, the other one you got down yeah. to your right. And it looks like the ball was gone well past as well. Yeah, but exactly. You managed to flick it around the post. Do you remember those as much as we do? I remember the um, Josh Kennedy header. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah. The- Tamadad driving into the area, cleared only as far as Arbe. Now back in towards Kennedy. Fabulous stop from Galakovic. Unbelievable save. What a fantastic save. Look for all money like he buried that Josh Kennedy's first chance and it shows the threat when they get a decent delivery into the box. He's always going to be a handful. It gets low down. It's it's absolutely behind him. Gordon Banks. Yeah, it's one of them where you don't know if you're going to get it. You kind of just throw yourself at it thinking I'll dive and if I get it, I'll get it. But you do think it's, it's behind me so the chances aren't really great. That's what I tell my goalkeepers today. I said... Go for everything because you'll be surprised. You might get a fingertip on it. Um, you'll be surprised, you know, that you'll you'll get balls that you're not expected to get. Or in your head, you're not ex- not thinking you're going to get. So, just go for everything. And if you don't, you don't. If you do, you might get enough to. to and they're the they're the saves that will uh, will you know once you finish your career, that they'll be your best saves you've ever made. So um, that's that's one thing I'm trying to teach these goalkeepers: just go for everything. And that was one I, I thought, okay, I'm beat, but I'll just dive and ended up getting just enough on it to go around the corner. I think maybe the other one you're mentioning, is that the Pohang one, maybe? Yes, yeah, 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 Pohang, yeah. As, similar as well. Not what they want to be doing against a team as quick as this. Good ball in from the right, free header, and Galakovic, what a save! Eugene Galakovic, that is absolutely 
Outstanding. Byun-Jun cannot believe his eyes. Yeah, but the Josh Kennedy one, maybe just because it was against another Australian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. And I think I remember being in the stands, I think everyone thought that that was going in. You see him go up, the ball goes down, and somehow you've tipped it up and it's gone, gone out. Now, I'm sure Tim will get to this as well, but you also made another great save in a bit later in the year of 2012, that double penalty save against uh, Wellington. <laughs> just, yeah. just talk us through that. Is that just pure instinct and, and reactions, I guess, when, when you get up yeah. to save the follow-up? Well, the first one's a guess. I'm guessing the side and... It wasn't, I wouldn't say it's a great height because I had to put my, my top hand out. Um, and then it was probably speed off the ground, the, the second one, to, to block it. It's Waikato and Melville United striker. Six goals in pre-season. Looking for his first A-League strike. Saved by Galekovic. Oh, what a save on the follow-up. That's brought the house down. And that's the final action of a quite remarkable game. The, the thing is, everyone says, oh, that's your best save. But, uh, you know, to me, it's not. We, it was the last second of the game. We're up 3-1. Three, three, so, we're, to me, we already won the game. It's the saves that win you the games for me. Like I said, the um, the two you mentioned previous, I think we won those games 1-0. Um, so, the result mattered and it changes the result rather than, yeah, it was technically a good save, the penalty one, but really it you saw me, I think you see me afterwards smiling. Like yeah. I wasn't even pumped because we already won the game. Yeah. Yeah. Our fans voted that the save of the decade as well when we did that um, last year. But yeah, just watching that again, like as he's stepping up for the penalty, you said you guessed the side, but what are you thinking? Are you making up your mind yeah. on his body language? Are you already made it up your mind? Or are you looking at his body language? Are you looking at how he shapes up to shoot? Like what's yeah. going through your head? These days is different, I think. Um, you know, I give my keepers um, some footage and percentages of which kind of side they're going to go to. Back then, it was more um, if I watched previous games and I knew where he went, mm -hmm. give me a good idea. Other than that, I would kind of I – I'll know before I'm going kind of before the run-up. I would never go by his last movement of the kick or right. something like that because then the ball's already been in you. So I, I believe you go the correct – if you go – the side and you cover your, that goal as much as you can, yeah. it's 50-50 plus yeah. a little bit more to their advantage. So you've got a 35 40% chance of saving it if you go the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I look at percentages big time, so yeah. The preparation that goes into that and the sorts of training that you do for that very moment, clearly instinct as well, but you, know, you, you parry it, then then what? What are you thinking then? You're like, I've just got to make myself look big or get big here or like how do you yeah, – what's, what's the next step in that, in processing that? Yeah, depending on where the ball falls. So if the ball goes kind of quickly back to the striker, you cover the goal. If it kind of drops in between, then you you, you got to cover the goal but also get close to the ball as close as possible to stop the angle for him to strike. So that's where it was. It was kind of in between him and me and – I had to get to close as close to the ball as I could, and lucky enough, you know, his shot hit me because I was close enough. Getting the captaincy. When did you first hear about that? How did you feel? You know, so yeah, just talk us through that. Yeah, it was a difficult one because it happened kind of mid-season. Johnny McCain was our captain, and in that season, things weren't going great. Rooney, Rooney Coolen got the sack. Johnny, John Cosmina came in, and you know, he pretty much said, "You're going to be my captain." And I was put in a position where 
you know, it was awkward because I had uh, a teammate, he was taking it off a teammate. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of could have handled it better, I believe. But you can only really talk it over. And in the end, it was, um, you know, I couldn't, it was hard for me to say no to John. Like, he would have probably maybe seen that as, you know, a negative. And then, yeah, just it, it was a difficult situation we're in that, that year. And, yeah, it, you know, it would have been hard for, like I said, John McCain to, to deal with as well. Yeah, do you, do you feel that looking back now? Did it change any of the dynamic in the room or anything like that? Or Yeah, potentially, yeah. It, it probably did for a short short period of time. Um, and, yeah, like I said, it kind of happened in the middle to the end of the year. And uh, he, he was injured for a lot, a lot of that time as well. So probably that maybe helped, if anything. But yeah, it was a difficult time. Like I said, it's between um, a teammate. It, it's always difficult. Did you guys, and you don't have to tell us, like, you know, what you spoke about. Did you guys have a, a talk about that and sort yeah. of, you know, explain it from each other's side? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, we, we did. Um, that's obviously on a yeah. personal level. But yeah, I grew up with Johnny McCain playing in the Olympics. The Olympics we talked about. You know, I've, I've seen him now, so it's, it's good. Yeah. It's just it was at that time that it was kind of pretty tough. Yeah, well, like you said, it, it was a it was a difficult season back then. So you know, we've talked about some of those good times. But in those in those tough seasons, you know, what's that like? How hard is it to keep going? How do you guys keep yourselves motivated? If are you buying into what the coach is saying? Are you not? Like, you know, how does yeah. how does that work? Yeah, no, it was a real tough season um, because results. Um, Rini Coolen, um, he was under Rini Coolen's time. Mm. He was probably getting. A lot of our, how do you say it, the, the players that the players loved offside and that affected everyone and that affected, you could see that by the results. Um, so he didn't, or in my opinion, I, he could have handled a little bit better. There's legends of the game that were kind of getting thrown out and like I said, it affects everyone. When we're, we're so close, I think it affects everyone and that kind of showed with the result, results. So uh, I'm a big believer like, doesn't matter what kind of coach you are, but you know, in Europe, when you're coaching, you've got so many players to choose from. You can throw them out, bring new ones in. When the A League, it's different. It's salary cap league. Boys are a lot closer than what they are in Europe in terms of camaraderie. I think it's just our culture. We're all mates type thing. Um, over there, it's it's a dog eat dog world where you're taking my spot. I'm going to fight you for my spot. Where here, it's a little bit different. So. I don't think he probably understood that side of it too much. Yeah, I think we've kind of seen that across the league as well when you see foreign coaches come in. Some get it, maybe some don't. And, yeah, it's it's interesting to see that how they how they handle that. So, like, in your experience, is is that true? Is that something like, you know, we're noticing it from the outside? You know, some of the, the coaches come and understand the Aussie football culture and others just don't. Yeah, it's it's true. I believe it's true, yeah. You know, to a, to a sense, you could probably see that last year with uh, Ryan Kiddo. You know, when a coach upsets one player, it's not really one player, it's one player and his close mates plus his teammates. And, you know, you don't have one boy angry, you have probably half the team angry. So it's about, you know, um, understanding how the boys are in the change room and, um, yeah, building from there, I suppose. As someone that understands that, and you know, you've taken us on a tangent now, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna push you up, but I'm not gonna ask for full, I'm not gonna ask you to dish dirt, but. When that happens, as someone that's lived it and experienced it, you're on the coaching staff. Like, you know, how do you 
handled that? How do you sort of get your arm around the boys and sort of try and keep them on track? Yeah, well, yeah, it, it's a tough one because when you're on the coaching staff, you, um, you're on the coaching staff, you know what I mean? Um, you have to back what the coach says type thing. But I think it's just an understand. What my, my thing is understanding of that side of it, how the boys are. And the longer I think a foreign coach comes here, the more he understands it, yeah. you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah he, un- he understands the landscape more. So Yeah, yeah. As I said, some get it. And I think Josep Gombau got it. Yeah. From, yeah, so, and that took us into a fairly successful period. So, you know, lifting trophies as a captain, FA Cup, Premier's Plate, Championship. So, you know, let's talk about the, the FA Cup 2014 as well. I think I think everyone gets a good sense of, or has a good sense of what it was like under Gombau. But, you know, from your perspective, him coming in, I remember when we were linked with him and you could see it in the papers and online, you know, you looked at his record. Okay, he wasn't at, you know, massive countries in, in massive countries massive leagues but like he won a trophy everywhere he went yeah. and you're kind of like okay well this, this could be really good you hear about the style of play he wanted to play so when he comes in you know what's that like for you guys is that a breath of fresh air really yeah it was i think michael Petrillo at the time obviously signed him and you know kind of heard a lot of i heard personally heard a lot of good things about yosep through um agents and players he used to have so I was, I was excited. Uh, I think we needed someone like him at the time. It was after Cozzy kind of left. We needed, you know, he was a perfect guy. You look at it now, he was a perfect guy for us. And he's an absolute champion. So, you know, he, like you said, he understood how to deal with players. Um, not all foreign coaches do, but he was one that, yeah, really everyone loved him, played for him, um, won our first trophy with him. So, oh, for myself at the club anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it was the most enjoyable time I've been involved with at the club was that period and it was the start of something. Do you really feel like he kind of laid the foundations for success when Guillermo Amor took over? Yeah, correct. Uh, you know, it's the same kind of style. So we had all the basics plus more. Um, you know, he, he drilled stuff into us for two years and you could see it building. Um, at the time, I was gutted that he left because I actually thought we were on something here. Um, but in the end, it was a perfect replacement, wasn't it? Yeah, everyone was, would have loved to have seen him stay. But then, you know, you have an absolute legend in a more taking over. But uh, just before we get to that, just, you know, those couple of years, because I, I remember there were results, it, it took a little while for things to, to click, and then it did. And then we won the cup the, the following season. The following yeah. season, of course. So, yeah, that run, it's a brand new competition. Were, were you guys like, oh, yeah, you know, here we go. It's a cup of competition, you know, because it's brand new. Like, have, did you really buy in yet? Or were you like, hey, we've got a, you know, this is a, a knockout comp. This is going to be great. We we want to win this. Yeah, I think you, uh, you know, it, it was a new competition, so it would have been nice to win it, which we did. Um, but you probably don't take it seriously until you kind of get to the semis because we play you know, those early games are early in our season or in our, like, you know, what do you call it? Like if you're playing NPL teams yeah. before our season, the more like practice games, trying to get fit. Yeah. And then when you get to the semis, okay, maybe we'll try winning this now type thing. He's isolated uh, Morton. Still a Mobile. He goes for goal deflection. Save ready. Goal Adelaide United. They're through to the final of the FFA Cup. And it's entirely fitting that Sergio Thirio should be the goal scorer. We're into time added on to time added on. Whistle in the mouth of Chris Beath. 
And there is the whistle. Adelaide United are through to the final. A gutsy effort from Central Coast in the second half. But in the end, it was Sergio Thirio who provided the difference. That's been the story for him in the FFA Cup. Adelaide United will now meet Perth Glory in the decider on December 16, most likely here at Cooper Stadium. And, yeah, it was obviously, you know, how they did it, high mush. It was, it was great. It was, um, yeah, but just going back on um, Gumbau and how we started, we didn't go too well at the start. Yeah, it was just about, um, you know, we're on our home turf. We haven't been here for a long time and uh, it was just to put on a show and uh, trying to play some good football like we have trying to been doing for the last, uh, you know, last month or two. Uh, you know, some games, Newcastle hasn't been that great, but I think the rest is, you know, the football's been there. The results haven't followed, but, uh, you know, I'm confident and uh, coach and the boys are confident that it, it'll turn. So looking forward to next weekend. What do you think is required to, I guess, get that victory? Yeah, I think uh, I think if we play like uh, like we did uh, tonight, I think uh, we'll win nine out of ten games. I think um, we're just got to learn, you know, um, just to keep keep going and uh, keep going. Uh, go back on the training track and um, fix our problems. And uh, if we do that, then uh, we'll give Central Coast a crack. And usually you'd lose hope, but I honestly believe that us players um, believe that there was something at the end of it as well. Um, we knew we were learning. He always said, "Don't worry about the results." early on as long as you buy into the process and the guys that bought into the process um, are the ones that stayed there uh, for a few years and really built something so the players that he brought in as well you know obviously the spanish influence comes in as well like how okay looking back we know how big of an impact they had but like how big of an impact at the time on that squad did that have oh massive yeah absolutely all right you know, Issa speaks for himself. Uh, you know, the best. Like you call him the engine of the team. He he runs everything. All the balls go through him. When you're under pressure, you just give him the ball, and he can do his swivel or turn, and um, he just moves his hips to get you know to to beat players. Um, Didio as well, out wide scored scored us a lot of goals. Our you know our front three, our front four was really dangerous. So you know, yeah, you if you didn't have Bruce scoring, you have Didio scoring. Um, you know, or our, you know, or our midfielders are scoring. So it just worked really well. And, you know, to top it off, they're all really good guys, all bought in as well. And, you know, you can ask them how the group was, but, I, you know, I think they, they found it so different to what they were used to in Spain. So, you know, like I said, it's a close group and they just, they bought into it and made it even better. Yeah, what was the training session? What was it like on the training pitch in those days? You know, like we, we, picking up different things from each other like and what sort of influence do they have then on like how guys trained yeah no they, they set a really good standard like you know Issa was captain of the club um so he's a leader he's a he works hard uh, just like Thidio and, and Pablo you know Pablo's bought in just as much as them too even though you know you he, he didn't play as many games but when he did you knew you're going to get output from him so that you know they're all all special and probably that'd mean a lot to a lot of people at Legend United. Again, talking about the cup, you know, it's you're lifting the trophy as, as captain. It's funny that you say, oh, you know, it's a semi-final. Now we'll take it seriously. But yeah, brand new competition, and then it was it, being in the stadium that night was unbelievable. You know, it was um, it's crazy, and like you know, the cup final since have been fantastic. But that first one in particular, again, being the first time going into that game. What was the what was the thought process then, and the the mentality then? Because obviously, you know, you're like, here we go. This is a cup final. This is for a trophy now. Yeah. Thirio tackled by Thwaites. 
Jute slides it for Karuska. That's a gorgeous ball. Here's Thirio. There's the opening goal of the cup final. Sergio Thirio with his sixth goal in the competition. It might be a trophy winner for the Reds. The FFA Cup is staying in Adelaide. A first trophy for Joseph Gombau with the Reds. And a first piece of silverware for Adelaide United since the Premiership in 2006 under John Cosmeda. Also, last of all, all the supporters here today and the guys that couldn't come, um, you got us over the line today, so thanks, thanks heaps, and uh, see you next week. One more thing, ladies and gentlemen, I would now like to invite John Batistich and David Gallup to step forward and present the Westfield FFA Cup trophy to Adelaide United captain Eugene Galakovic and Joseph Gombau, your Adelaide United! No, it was, it was massive, especially being at home. We knew it was going to be sold out, it was going to be a big crowd, and we wanted a trophy, you know, and... We, we delivered, you know, 30 or scoring in, against Perth. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. Like I said, you don't win many trophies in your time. And and I remember Gombau said after the game, he goes, boys, you don't win many trophies. You don't win a trophy every week. So tonight you can go celebrate. And that's what we did. And then we had a game a couple of days later and we, we, we were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. He's like, oh, we win the cup and then, you know, we like, yeah. hey, you're well entitled to celebrate. But um, before the game, what you know, what is... What does Gombau say to you boys? Like, what, how does he set you up? Yeah, he was um, every, every game, every speech was similar in terms of how it was structured. In terms of what he said, it was different. But I remember he write everything on the whiteboard. Whiteboard would be always full, and we think, oh, this meeting's going to go for a long, long time. And then he'd go for every point he'd want to um, tell us, and then he'd have at the back, you know, probably three little um, sentences, you know, run or. You know, whatever it is, he, it just um, a bit of a motivational kind of thing. So they're all kind of very structured, um, but obviously um, delivering different messages. So, yeah, we, we knew it was a big game. You know, Gumbau, obviously, you know, he, he would, uh, you know, explain to us obviously how big it is and, and the way he is on the, on the sidelines. Obviously, you could see what it, what it meant to him too. You touched on the fact, that, you know, yes, he, he, he left, uh, which was disappointing. Um, I'm sure all the boys were disappointed with that. I mean, we can go into that or we can we can leave it alone. But at, at the time, like when you heard the news that he wasn't going to be coming back, you know, was that just like a, you know, just an arrow to the heart? Were you just kind of like, oh, what do we do now? Yeah, it was. I think everyone felt like that. No one knew it was coming, top thing. Mm. I remember him sitting us down and he wasn't in his training year. So we're like, we still didn't know. We didn't believe he was going to be gone. So, yeah, he was emotional and everyone was absolutely gutted um and that lasts a little bit until you know you realize everyone has to move on and Guillermo was straight away in charge so to be fair to him we had to move on from it didn't we we um you know it's not fair dwelling on things when he's trying to lead a team so our, our my aim was okay we just got to give this guy the best opportunity and 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 move forward yeah so was it was it a fairly smooth transition? Was it very similar? I imagine it was, but like, I, I don't know, not being inside the room, you know, how was the progression from, from one to the other? Yeah, it was, it was quick. I, I don't know if things were getting worked behind closed doors, or how long, you know, Gumbel was 
Well, I knew Gombau before the year when he left back to Spain. He said he, I thought he was just upset that he he mentioned to me about not being here, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, no, he's just upset, kind of thing. So I didn't really take too much into it, and. Over the holidays, you know, I didn't get that feeling. And then when he got back, he we had a bit of it. We were training. He was tra- taking us. So I thought, okay, it was just, you know, I didn't really, like I said, I didn't take too much into it. And then I don't know if things were getting sorted behind closed doors, but like I said, it happened within a day that he was gone and Glenn was taken over. So it just seemed like it happened really quick. And like I said, our main thing as players or leadership group was just to move on as quickly as we can, give Glenn the best opportunity. And I guess Guillermo comes in. How does his management managerial style kind of differ from Josep's? Yeah, in terms of football, you know, it's probably 90% the same. A few tweaks here and there, but coming from the Barcelona style, it was very similar. In terms of personality, you know, completely different. Um, Very quiet, absolute legend. Um, You know, you can talk to him about anything. You know, he's regarded really high up in Barcelona, but... He's got no ego at all, you know what I mean? He's just the nicest guy. And one thing that he would say that helped us as players that Glenmore had was he was a calm figure. He, um, even though, you know, Gombao's energy, it was good. I think Glenmore's calm figure helped us to get to also where, where we did that year as well. So that was a, yeah, it, it, I've got nothing bad to say about any uh, both of them. They're both legends and... I love my time with both of them. We know, like you've spoken about that season a bit for an upcoming documentary that we're, we're putting together. So depending on when you're listening to this, it's either coming soon or it's out now. So we're probably going to be covering a little, little bit of ground that you've already talked about. But yeah, just that season again, like it, it maybe took a little bit of time to get going. Once we did, it was unstoppable. But was that a similar thing to, to Gombao as well? It's just like, just keep believing in the process, keep going, keep doing what we're doing and it will click. Yeah, that, that was a little bit different. We, um, I wasn't part of the start of that season. Um, I was injured. Um, we had a few key players that were out as well. So it was about we need, you know, we're, we're a club that relies heavily probably on, you know, 13, 14, 15 players. And then we need the young kids to step up as well. And I think that year we, we had the young kids to step up. You know, you look at Goody now. At that time he was at Newcastle and he wasn't playing too many games. We brought him over. He stepped up. Bruce Kamau stepped up. Um, so we need, we need usually, you know, we need a couple of those young boys to step up and the the older boys, the leaders, to be fit. And if that's the case, we're, we'd always be in a good, you know, would be all right. So we're waiting for a few. Myself, I think Chella was injured at the time early on or wasn't playing. We knew when we'd have majority of the squad back, would be all right. And just we just needed a win and build some momentum. That that was the other thing. Um, you know, we we're in a position where when you keep losing, it's not a good feeling. Are you feeling the pressure? Pressure. On you? Well, one coach say pressure is pleasure, no? Well, the pressure is what in the soccer, in the football, in the team, in, in the, the this is this is what if not is no? If you work and it's always is calm, I'm calm, I'm calm. It's, it's better to press. Our pressing, o sea, your pressing, no? Your pressing, the, the people, the supporters, the, in general, this is good for the, for the players, for me, for the, for the Adelaide United, in this case. Además, es 
como es merecido. O sea, our situation is for this. O sea, eh, we are in this situation. We are the, the, como es culpable, ¿no? Eh, responsables, responsable, ¿no? The responsible of this situation is, is the team, me, in this case, in the responsible. Eh, I want the, the best for the, for the team, for the club. In this moment, it's not good, but this pressure is, is normal and good. But then, then, like I said, we beat Perth, and you don't believe you're going to win a title after one game, after 10 games, but the second game, the third game, the fourth game, you think, okay, we might be able to make the finals. If we make the finals, we'll give it a good crack, but then teams above us start losing as well, and you just keep rising. And by the end of it, it was like, can we make top four? Then it was, can we make top two? And then by the end of it, can we finish top and you know um, victory do us a favour with Matt, uh, Lawrence Thomas having a blunder a game against Brisbane and us pipping Brisbane in the end we are champions is the cry but it's all about the Premier's plate tonight and it's going to Adelaide you can hear the cheers all the way from the city of churches Adelaide United in season 11 and they offer a rare thank you to their fierce rivals the Melbourne victory just the, the noise surrounding it like while results aren't going that well like does, does it creep in at all or are you guys able to just shut that out entirely and just focus on what you're doing oh, I'd be good to but I, I think I think you do see it I remember uh, <laughs> members were throwing their memberships over the fence and Tariq was flicking them back um, telling him kind of where to go at the time. So it does, I think it does affect everyone in a different way. I think it's more motivating, I think. If you don't want to be here, not a problem. you got no membership. You can't get in the grand final right now. So you know, that's how I kind of see it. <laughs> um, but no, to a degree, it does, it does affect. You, you do hear the noise, don't you? Yeah. Um, and social media is becoming more of a thing at that time correct. as well. I know you're not you know, on social media so much, but yep. yeah, does that still... I think it's it plays a big part in young boys' careers, lives, and everything. So, you know, then I think there's some boys that'll never get off it, which is fair enough. I think you just have to be mindful of what can it cause. Oh, 100 percent, yeah. Uh, in the role that I occupy at the club, it's a big, it's a big thing. So I, I, I see it, and I wonder if the boys see it too, uh, which is probably unavoidable, um, and how that does affect them, but. So, yeah, in that season, like there's so many big moments. Again, like we said, you probably touched on it in, in the Champions in May documentary, but all these little key moments, things that go right for you as, as we're building, the winning streaks coming together. How much of that do you remember? Is it, is it all still really clear or is it sort of a bit hazy now? Oh, it's definitely hazy. I, I remember the grand final because I've seen it so many times, yeah. but leading to the grand final, it, it's like it, things happen so quick when you're, in a good space when you're winning you just worry about the next week then you win that you worry about it. so the games go so quick and you're just on to the next week um you know I, I remember the the winning streaks i remember losing to melbourne city and everyone not everyone sorry but there's you know people in the media writing us saying oh they've got no chance now after losing one game so that kind of inspires you a little bit more okay you don't think we can win it we'll show you type is, thing. is that the type of thing you put up in the change room and you're like look at these boys keep this in mind or? some some boys do i don't but you have it in the back of your head and then yeah it just i think it inspires you and gives you that little 
little bit of an edge to keep going. Um, and then, yeah, we went on another little winning streak all the way to the grand final. I was just going to say, it's almost like sometimes the, the loss you need just to keep everyone in check and then it just, you know, not too close to a finals campaign, but close enough to the end of the season, but still enough time to get a few wins together. Yeah. No, totally. I, I'm a big believer of, you know, not just winning streaks, but if you do lose your next game, I tell my goalkeepers, if you have a bad game, if you make a mistake, as long as your next game, be clean. Because once you start making two mistakes in a row, three mistakes in a row, it plays in your mind. So winning is the same. If you, if you go on a winning streak, you lose one game, your next game's your grand final. Get a result. First thing is get a result. Don't want to lose two on a trot because then it's like, ah, oh, I lost two on a trot. You start, boys start thinking negative. So it's about the next game's the most important and doing everything right to win that game. When you finally get your hands on the, the Premier's plate. It gives me great pleasure in acknowledging Adelaide United, the fabulous season that you've had. Um, after a slow start to see a team come basically from the bottom to the top of the table, I think it's the first time it's happened like that and it was uh, tremendous to see. A well-earned prize and it's given you a home semi-final and a chance to host the grand final, obviously, if you win this weekend. So without any further ado, I'll bring this plate over to you and uh, congratulate you for winning it. This was What was the feeling then? Was it relief or was it kind of uh, you know relief, excitement, or were you like, well, the big one is in a few weeks and we've got to do that? No, it's definitely the big one. We watched the Brisbane Melbourne game, which made us win the premiership uh, as a group. We watched it as a group. And it was excitement at the time, winning it, probably more knowing that every game from now on will be at home and it'll be, I wouldn't say easier, but it does make a big difference. Mm. So that the excitement was we're in a really good position now to, to win everything. That, mm. that was my feeling anyway. Yeah, it wasn't really about winning our first trophy, uh, our, first, our second premiership as such. It was more this, there's a real good chance to hold up the championship right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting debate as well with the – with the premiership because, you know, you have a lot of fans that are like, first pass the post, that should be it. Lee James, get rid of the finals. As players, what do you prefer? Is it is it the finals or, you know, like is it finishing top of the league and it's like, okay, yep, that's the true champions as some people might argue or are you focused on, well, no, like especially here in Australia, grand final, like that occasion yeah. and lifting that? It's a champion. For me, it's a championship. I understand it's harder to win the premiership, but I don't know. I've, I've always been brought up, you know, in Australian football, AFL, it, it's the championship, and I understand if you're from Europe, it's it's a different mentality. Thinking, you know, thinking winning the premiership, but there's that saying: you can't get drunk for a month after winning the premiership, can you? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Is that a little insight into what happened after the grand final? <laughs> well, yeah. So that final series, everyone remembers the the semi final was huge. The, the atmosphere here, I think, a lot of people still see that as like one of the greatest games ever. At High Marsh, obviously the grand final. I mean, I, we could probably break down both games and go minute by minute. We're not going to do that. But when it finally happens, and you know you're on the ground on your knees and you're celebrating, and you know that you've won the championship and you're about to lift that as captain, like what is that moment like for you? Yeah, it's unreal. Like I don't know. For me, it was I've been at the club for such a long time. That was that's the main goal. It wasn't about winning an FFA Cup. Um, or being involved in a just being involved in a Champions League, um, it was about winning a big trophy. And for me, you know, that was the moment I did it. It took me such a long time to do it. So, 
when the whistle blows in what is surely just a matter of seconds time and on balance you'd say they deserved it today there it is thanks to Amor they are bridesmaids no more tears from Eugene Galekovic he knows the pain that they've been through and in front of 50,000 parochial South Australians Adelaide United have finally reversed the curse and laid to rest those ghosts of Grand Finals Pass. Bottom in November, Premiers in April, Champions in May. You know, I look back now and I always remember that as if I didn't win that, I'd have that empty feeling I, st- I reckon still inside myself. But because I won it, it's um, I've completed, kind of completed something. And I know you mentioned that you couldn't, really celebrate too much that week correct like you, you have a newborn yeah a newborn yeah it was probably just before the melbourne city semi-final where so he he was born but he was he was born with a little problem in his he's all right now but at the time in esophagus and he was in icu for two weeks so he's still across the road in icu in the grand final at the grand final i was grateful that all the games were in adelaide that was another reason i was grateful because yeah. I don't know if I would have gone to Melbourne City if we were playing away, but it all turned out well. And uh, he was home the next morning, which wasn't probably too great because I was, uh, yeah, it was hard to kind of recover. Yeah, yeah I bet. I bet. Because <laughs> those celebrations were pretty epic. Uh, but yeah, like having that happen, you know, that's, that's going on. I mean, that's got to be tough. Like, how, how were you able to, yeah. you know, keep, in both you know both things like you, you know your mind your heart your just you know your body like how are you yeah well I was, I was kind of living we had a hotel just across the road from the hospital so it, it it was i wasn't at home i was in and out of hospital i was at hospital pretty much just sleeping in the hotel and back and forth for two weeks and in the end i w- wouldn't say it's great preparation but I put my didn't have i didn't have my mind on the game as much which probably made me more relaxed which is probably a good thing um, I know we should be always focused and all that, but I, yeah, it didn't. I didn't. I wasn't wasting energy on thinking about a, a big game. I was more worried about my son, and then leading to a game was just like, okay, let's get this job done, type thing, without thinking too much about it, type thing. Yeah, because I can imagine replaying a game that hasn't happened yet in your mind, time after time in the build-up, can be quite taxing. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. You, you think about it a lot. You think about good thoughts, bad thoughts. Um, what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, and then it does probably you waste a bit of energy on that. So, but I was my my thinking was you know leading into this run, uh, coming to the end of the run to the finals, it was just like we're going to get this job done. It's about how we're going to get it. There was no for me, there was no negative thoughts at all. It was just how we're going to get this. We're going to get this job done. It's about a matter of when. Yeah, how did how did more keep you guys? You know, focused on the job at hand. You know, stacking wins and and that sort of thing, and then just keeping you guys motivated. Yeah, he was just relaxed, like probably like a, a good thing for us, like another way of probably doing the basics rather than thinking too much of a too much that it's a big game. Mm-hmm. Just do what we're doing, um, keep doing what we're doing. We're on a run, keep this run going, type thing. And did he feel the whiteboard like Gombau? Was it a completely different approach? No, completely different. Obviously, set out what we wanted to do, but did in his own way, I suppose. Yeah, yeah and the, those two games, obviously the semi and the, and the grand final. Um, what do you remember of those now? Yeah, oh, 
I remember the semi, obviously, was a hard game, even though it was 4-1. Mm. I think we got a few late goals to make it a lot easier on ourselves. And then I think maybe the semi-final for Western Sydney was their grand final, the 5-4, I think it was, against Brisbane. Yeah, I think I think it was. It was 5-4. Five five, yeah, five, I think it was 5-4, 5-3, 5-4. And knowing what they've been through the week before, um, that would have been it would have been taxing that, you know, like I mentioned, um, you know, with the Gamba game, like you're thinking about all these grand finals before the grand final and you you do waste a lot of energy. So, you know, my mindset was was about just getting the job done and if we go through the right if our mindset's right, we'll we'll, we'll be lifting up lifting up a trophy, obviously. That moment of actually getting your hands on the trophy and lifting that fireworks, the crowd, the everything that's you know, the confetti, all of that stuff. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Oh, you know, my best moment in the game, it wasn't. It was Pablo's moment. It was, that was the moment I knew we won the grand final. And yeah, that's probably in one moment of football. That's the best moment of football for myself. That one, Pablo, Pablo scoring. 1994, when Adelaide City last bought a championship. Oh, a mistake by Bacchus. There could be an air. Pablo Sanchez. That's it. They've done it! The super sub once again off the bench scores the clincher. Adelaide are going to be champions for the very first time in the A-League era. I don't know if you, I imagine it would be hard to describe like the exhilaration and, and like, when that happens. Like yeah. when the ball comes down to him and then it breaks for him, what are you thinking then? I'm thinking keep the ball in the corner flag like we're trying to do um, and then it somehow just fell to him and in the end I'm thinking about wasting time rather than scoring another goal that's all I'm thinking and then when he does it's obviously we knew we could almost celebrate the last few minutes playing the game but we could still enjoy the moment and enjoy the spectacle that's amazing yeah because I always describe it as a kind of a combination of like euphoria and relief all at the same time because I think at that point everyone knew that it's done and like yeah, you say, right. you can enjoy the final few minutes and after that must be a great feeling on the pitch as well where you can kind of really absorb it all and, and take note of just yeah, yeah, how everything. big a spectacle it is. Yeah, correct. I remember Pablo ran obviously to to Steve and, and the crowd and uh, everyone joined him. I, I, I joined him as well from where I was. And I remember running back, I was breathing and <laughs> I was I was telling the boys to slow down because I still got to get back to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, long way to go as yeah. well. Adelaide Oval. I guess it goes without saying. Is you know, is that out of all your achievements here at the club, that's your you feel that's your greatest? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, club, for club football, um, I, I had a really good. I had all my moments at Adelaide United. Even like I said, played uh, World Cups, but all those moments were when I was with Adelaide. So definitely, um, club moment is definitely uh, um, that grand final. Yeah, I mean, look, that's a really positive place to end it. But I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't get to this because obviously then the following season doesn't go great. I actually joined as a staff member about halfway through that season. So we didn't really get a chance to sort of interact too much that in that first six months. But yeah, then unfortunately, your time as a player comes to an end here. I don't think I'm stepping out of line by saying I don't think anybody here now is happy about how that ended. But what happened there? Because <laughs> were you still a chance to stick around? Like, was that decision made really late or was it actually made earlier? And I'm guessing it wasn't even your decision. I don't want to get too much into it. Like, I was hoping to stick around. 
Yeah, but I don't want to talk too much about it. I, I, because, like you said, all these guys in the office, they're, they're great people now. You know, I had a good relationship with Paul Izzo. He was the one telling me the situation. Okay. So I found out through him that the situation. That's all, that's all I'll say about it. But in the end, I, you know, I look at now on from a coach's perspective, forgetting how it happened, it's a great decision moving me on and signing Paul Izzo because you've got a keeper that's a lot younger than me and with a lot more quality. It's from Adelaide. It's probably just more how it was handled more than anything. So the decision was actually like a great decision. And the other positive is you learn as well. Like I'm, uh, I'm a coach now. I try to um, make sure that doesn't happen to my goalkeepers or to a degree to, to the players. But because I look after the goalkeepers, I make sure I'm you know, honest and I tell them how it is at the time. You know what I mean? So I, 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 even though you know, it wasn't great, you, you learn, and I've learned a lot. Was it always your intention then to go into coaching and potentially get back to the club at some point? Yeah, I, like I said, I, I love my time here. And it was, I've always wanted to get into, at the start, it was more I wanted to get out of the game. And then the older I got, the, you know, I, I started doing my licenses and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my licenses and I thought, you know, in the end, that's all I kind of know <laughs> to a degree. Um, you know, done it for 20 years and, so it was about doing it one day. Um, but it's always hard to know where you're going to end up because depending on who's available at the time, um, would I stay in Melbourne, would I come back to Adelaide, it was it just came out perfectly that I knew that I, was, I, I wanted to retire and you know, Adelaide got in contact with me. So it was, a, it was just all time. It was yeah. timing more than anything. So was that, in, was that happening in the background or, or like you said, was it just kind of falling into place at the time? You were ready to finish playing and then the call came and it was just... Yeah, I had to make a choice. I kind of was... I could have gone one more year. I didn't... Not that I didn't want to, but it was about I wanted to finish playing. I didn't want to have one more year and there could have been a chance I would have been on the bench. So I was kind of negotiating with Melbourne City to, to keep playing. But in my head, I wasn't sure if it was the right one. And then Adelaide come in with a role and it just made life, it made sense to me to um, kind of accept it, knowing that I finished playing, I don't want to have my last year where I don't know if I'm going to play or I'm not going to play. And it was the right move for me, I believe. Yeah, that's great. So you're really enjoying the coaching at the moment. What have you learned in your first couple of years? Yeah, no, I really enjoy it. I think man management is probably the biggest thing, you know, and a lot easier for me because I only have to deal with four boys. Yeah, yeah so it's still it's got to be difficult. Four into one spot, that's got to be tough. Yeah, it is, and they're all. Um, I've got three that, if I had to throw in, James has proven himself. Joey's proven himself. Ethan Cox is a young boy. He's probably at that stage now where if you had to play a game or two next season, you know, you could throw him in. Still young though, still learning. So as long as he, you know, keeps his head where, where it's at, he'll keep improving and, he, and he'll make it. Since we're talking about um, coaches, just wanted to ask you what type of impact some of your goalkeeping coaches have had. Obviously, obviously Peter uh, Blazincic, you know, what type of impact? Because he was, he was your keeper coach here basically almost yeah. the entire time, wasn't he? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, 90% of the time, yeah. I, I had a different one. I discussed Seller my last year, but yeah, he's the biggest one uh, influence on me. You know, I still keep in contact with him. The way he coaches was kind of, he made me who I was and that's what I take from it. Like all, a lot of his stuff. Um, I've had other keeper coaches in Spider, uh, Jacques Kellatz, 
Jess Van Stratton, but only really for a year here or there. So, but like I said, Pete's, I've done it for nine years with Pete and uh, really enjoyed it and take a lot of his stuff as well and um, try to teach my goalkeepers. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like there's a there's also not just obviously Adelaide which we have, but there's a good crop of young keepers emerging kind of across the comp? Because I remember a couple of years ago, I think there was maybe some reservations. That, oh, there's not enough young keepers maybe getting an opportunity. I'm a big believer of like if they got quality, you got to give them an opportunity. Um, James Dalinov, you know, if we didn't take him, he'd still be not playing. Joe Gauchi, if James didn't get injured and we didn't take him. You know, he'd probably be a second choice at Melbourne City still or wherever. If you give him a chance, I think he, if you believe in them, they, they'll grow um, and they've been growing every week. So they can both play, you know, A-League. They're both number ones. It's, it's unfortunate you only got one spot in a team for a goal. Yeah, that's right. How, how does a decision come when you're, you know, you're talking to the coaching staff? Obviously, you're seeing what's happening on the training pitch every day, but you know, how it must have been tough to have picked a number one or or maybe it's easy to say now because in hindsight we're seeing what Joe has done when he's come in. Yeah. But, yeah, like how do you guys come to that decision? We haven't really made a decision um, on number one because at the time it was at the time it was between James because Joey was injured. So yeah. it's never been between James and Joey. It's been between all of them. Mm. So originally it was between James and Dakota because Joey was injured at the time. He was doing rehab. And James, we brought over from Melbourne, come back from a knee rico. So, you know, there's a lot of risk involved. But he was fit at the time. So he played a few practice games, he'd done well, and he kept his spot. And then it was between, obviously, um, James got injured. Joey Joey comes in and done well, kept his spot. And then it was an easy decision when, yeah. when yeah. Joey got injured because it was like James had proven himself yeah. and he was fit again. Uh, so <laughs> the kind of... Either one's been out, yeah. two have been available. So, so yeah. I can imagine that would have been a very tough decision. At, at, you know, when, when they're both fully fit, what to sort of do? Like you said, you, you know, when you were first playing a victory, it's like two games on, two games off. Yeah. If you've got two really good goalkeepers, the easiest decision for us is if we're winning and the keepers doing well. I don't think you change. Yes, yeah, with the hot hand, as they say. Yeah, yeah, but once you start losing and you start dropping points that's a different story so yeah. just unfortunate at the time Joey got injured mm. I guess again it's easy probably to look back and, and say it now but then you know when these guys are coming in are you looking at them and going yeah I think they've got potential or, you know have you seen something that you know you've alerted the club or Carl to or whatever and just been like I really think we should look at this guy and get this guy in well just going back on Joey and James I played with James at Melbourne City for a uh, two years, so I knew his uh, qualities. Uh, Carl had him with the under-20 national team, so he knew him as well. So we both knew him. Mm. It was um, it was an easy decision in the end. It was just about West United letting him go. Joey Gauchi, I trained with him a little bit at Adelaide United when he was a youngster, and I knew him. You know, you, you talk to people. Um, you talk to goalkeeper coaches, coaches in terms of personality, what they're like around the group. Um, but I, I kind of knew both of them anyway. Um, and also Carl. Carl knew Joey through the NTC as well. So we both knew both of them. Dakota just came in, kind of trained with me from day one when I arrived. And he was quite raw, but he was very um, new to soccer as well. He only started when he was, you know, 17 or, or something like that. So it was about seeing the potential and how much it can grow. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to look at, not just kind of one aspect, but, yeah, there's a lot in so far, I think we've done all right. Oh, for sure. I mean, we could probably get into like talking about 
goalkeeper development and stuff for a long time here. I know we've got to probably wrap it up, but but yeah, just in in terms, just quickly uh, development in that area. You know, obviously, a lot of the time they do develop later, and and you know, but they extend their careers and obviously play a lot longer. So you know, it, it's it's obviously different to outfield players. So take us in that that the patience and you know what you have to do to be able to get these guys ready. Yeah. For not just one game necessarily, but for a long career. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's a bit like a ruckman in AFL where they kind of mature a little bit later. You know, you, you're you at your peak from about, I was at my peak, I believe, from about 26 to early 30s, where a player is probably more at his peak, you know, 24 to 30 type thing. So careers are longer, their peaks, our peaks are probably a bit longer, but later on in life. So, you know, that that's the good thing about James and and. The keepers we have now because they're just learning and they've got a, a long time to probably reach their peak and yeah, it's a upside. as long as they keep you know improving and, and, and doing well then it's just a hard one for goalkeepers because there's only one spot so yeah. match minutes is the most important is is important as well and it's about getting your match minutes in so that that's the one thing that's kind of difficult for goalkeepers yeah why do you think it is different like obviously it is a completely different position we know that but why do you think they do mature later like what is that about goalkeepers i think you know it's probably more reading flights of balls balls over the top crossing that's what i found hard early on in my career mm-hmm. you know reading those kind of balls um the more you get at training the more you're getting matches you just it just picks up and i understand players probably had that thing too but not as much as goalkeepers because every ball a keeper gets needs to be you know across needs to be right judgment yeah. the ball over the top you need to know uh, to come or to protect your goal and every every one is crucial it can cost you a goal it can cost you a win so yeah. um, i think you just read it better when you get when you're older and you make less mistakes for those reasons all right last nice easy one <laughs> to finish off right yeah. so your influences as a goalkeeper the, the the keepers you looked up to who were they and do you have a mount rushmore of goalkeepers that you've got like four keepers that we you'd put on your Mount Rushmore. The the ones I grew up liking were Mark Bosnich because playing in the English Premier League at the time and he's Australian. So that connection, I suppose. I like Peter Schmeichel as well. Don't know why, he's just a great goalkeeper, I suppose. Colourful. And probably now I look at, you know, your Buffon and uh, Neuer as well. Um, just two unbelievable goalkeepers. Neuer, uh, Buffon probably for, you know, the way he's kept over the years. Neuer probably how he keeps the the new generation of goalkeepers, you know, playing really high, great with his feet, and obviously the Man City one as well now. Um, Edison, just watching them play, I, you know, my ideal, you know, making a goalkeeper would be that kind of making him like an Edison, where he's got a lot of qualities, a lot of goalkeeping qualities. Yeah. All right. Well, look, I think. We'll leave it there. We didn't even get into Socceroos or there's plenty of other stuff we could probably talk about and dive into, so maybe we'll get you back another time. But thank you for making the time today. Uh, really appreciate it. Also didn't get to uh, how you like to play outfield now in you know, over 35s competition. Maybe that's something else we'll talk about another time, but I will see you on the pitch when we get to play each other soon, hopefully. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, appreciate thanks, it. Eugene. Cheers.